Welcome to this broadcast of Truth for Today. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be doing, um, this is part four of the series. Uh, I have subtitled uh, the beginning of this section as Christ's Standard of the Law. Last week we talked about Christ fulfilling the law. Uh, today we're going to we're going to learn what his standard is with regard to the law. Uh, before we begin our Bible study, let's uh, take time to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit and ask His blessing. Lord, we thank you um, that we have your revelation, that you inspired it, that you protected it, that you brought people together to accurately as possible translate it into a language that we are used to. We thank you for the truth that it that it brings to us. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and his ministry to bring us into all the truth and to remind us of what you have taught us. And we ask that you motivate us to cooperate with him to apply the truth in our own lives. Amen. Uh, let me also remind you of the overall, for those especially who are joining us for the first time, of the overall um, message here contained in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, we learned early on at the very beginning that uh, this sermon was was a teaching to Jesus' disciples. Uh, some other people may have overheard it, but it was aimed at the disciples. If we say we are disciples of Jesus, then this sermon is instructions for us. Additionally, it will be clear as we go through the study that this is not a utopia vision that Jesus is talking about. An unattainable perfection. No. His instructions to his disciples is, this is the way I expect you to think and to live now. Uh, that becomes more and more important as we go through this. So uh, keep that in mind for those of you who are just joining us and are, we're picking this up uh, partway through the sermon. We are starting in, today in verse 21 of chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to read from 21 to 26. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever says no to his brother excuse me says to his brother you good for nothing shall be guilty before the supreme court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and, and, you, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not 
hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Jesus uh, is, is giving some specific... He's going to do six of these. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that uh, he's going to introduce these with you have heard it said or if you have heard from and then he's going to contrast that with I say to you uh, which was unlike any religious teacher in his time they all based everything on quotes from this and that and the other teacher and kind of like precedents in the legal system in the United States but Jesus had authority because he was the creator so he didn't have to refer to what other people said you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth so to speak as a saying in the United States and there was a problem with the religious teachers of the day that Jesus is going to address in these six this is the first of six uh, examples the Pharisees sought to restrict commandments and their impact and they they also sought to expand on permissions and Jesus is going to teach his disciples the falseness of that way of thinking as he goes through this so he starts out here okay the Pharisees sought to restrict murder to the physical act okay the physical act and truth be told if you're reading uh, the Old Testament uh, it pretty much uh, referred to you weren't brought on charges unless you executed the intent of your heart in the in the Old Testament law because the people couldn't see into the hearts of the other people and so they had to go based on if somebody actually killed somebody and it was clear what we would call in the United States legal system if there was intent that was murder and that was quite clear in the in in the Old Testament Mosaic law and so the Pharisees were they went to great pains in the rabbinical teachings not just the written Mosaic law but in the rabbinical teachings to constrain and constrain and constrain that like the United States legal system has done okay, um, so that some people who actually committed murder did, don't, didn't get held accountable and so Jesus is going to say he's saying here um, that uh, anger and words and insults that are expressions of what's in your heart make you just as guilty as if you actually finally ended someone's life. That's a that is a different standard. He is declaring God's standard. You are as guilty if you are un you expressing ungodly anger as if you had physically ended their life. 
And I think he did this for a couple reasons. Uh, first was to res- to to um, destroy the restrictions that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were trying to put on this business of murder. The second was to educate the people that it is impossible for you to keep the law. You might be able to not physically, violently end someone's life. You might be able to do that. But I can confess to you that no one is free from ungodly anger. And it's his beginning to show the people that they have need of a redeemer. So, anger. It's an expression of pride, vanity, hatred, jealousy, revenge, ungodly anger. Okay, And one underlying cause for ungodly anger is being irritated. That's what I say, not getting your own way. <laughs> okay, Not getting your own way. Somebody does something that gets in the way of your plans. And you're not getting your own way and you're irritated and you're angry. That's ungodly, part of ungodly anger. If somebody does something to you that makes you afraid, uh, here's a good example. You're driving along at 65 miles an hour following the speed limit, and somebody swerves right in front of you, forcing you to swerve t- and suddenly stop on the side of the, on the shoulder raises your blood pressure, shoots adrenaline through your body, you're in fear for your life. You might get angry with that person. Likewise, if it goes a step further and you get hurt physically, or if somebody says or does something to hurt you emotionally, that could cause you to be angry. Those three underlying causes of anger result in ungodly anger. Ungodly in that God does not respond to those things by being angry. And we should not either, if we're disciples. Um, The one underlying cause of anger, which is injustice, That's what makes God angry. When Jesus was angry in the temple twice, he wasn't angry because of the fact that there was buying and selling going on, because that was allowed by the law. He was angry because the people who were doing it were being dishonest, and they were were being unjust with the people who had no no way to resolve it. And so... He reacted to the injustice by being angry. That God is always angry with injustice. And we will not be sinful if we follow after God and are angry over injustice. Then there's the insult. Um, In the case of uh, Jesus' example, if you were to put it into modern 21st century English, it would be stupid and scoundrel. 
Okay. Um, so, in summary, this anger thing is a desire to get rid of someone who gets in our way, hurts us, or causes us fear. Even if we don't physically attack them or pay someone else to physically attack them, in God's eyes, we have committed murder. There are a lot of murderers walking around. And you can expect to have the same level of judgment in God's court as if you actually ended somebody's life intentionally. And then he gives some practical examples to avoid being angry. The first is a relationship with a brother. He uses the word brother, okay, when you're worshiping. That would mean in close in, in to his disciples, it, it had double meaning. First, it would be a fellow man or woman of Israel, but it would also be included as another disciple. That would be a brother or a sister if you wanted to extend. The principle extends. And if you, while worshiping, wanting, in, the, in this case, their worship was to make an offering at the temple, and remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against them, but you remember that they have something against you. Stop your worship. There's a sense of urgency if he says, stop your worship. If you remember it, stop your worship. Go and be reconciled with your brother first. That will... Reconciliation, forgiveness, that will release the potential for anger. Then he goes on, if you have an adversary, that's a nice way of saying an enemy, <laughs> and you're going, he uses the example of a court case. Well, end the court case before it starts, is what he's saying. Don't go to court. If there's anything that there's in a resolve the whatever it is. If you owe the guy money, make 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 a plan for restitution. Because let me, and of course, the consequences of not in the Roman system. Uh, if you owed somebody money and you couldn't pay, they put you in prison until you could pay. But how do you pay if you're in prison? You got no way to earn money. That's not a good option. So he's giving some examples of how to avoid anger and basically saying take every possible step to live in peace. Um, give up your personal rights. Now, in America, we have constitutional rights. They're, they're rights before the government. The government is supposed to protect those rights and not infringe on them by our constitution. But if you insist on your rights person to person, you create an opportunity for friction and anger if you think that somebody has infringed on your rights. 
So, to avoid being angry, give up your personal rights and refuse to take offense. If somebody says something that's offensive, that's their problem. But you can refuse to be offended. It's a choice. It's not automatic. You don't have to be offended. Jesus is saying, don't be offended. Again, there's urgency. And that's his first example. Second example starts in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So I would suspect that there are a lot of one-eyed men walking around out there. Okay. Except that Jesus wasn't really saying he wants you to physically maim yourself. Now, religious teachers, again, attempted to limit the scope of adultery to the physical act. They, were, they went beyond that. There's a story in the Gospel of John where there was the woman caught in adultery. They were ready to punish her to the full extent of the law. But the law said you had to punish the man too. Where was he? If they caught her in the very act, they caught him too. But he wasn't there. Another restriction that the leaders of the Jewish religion were attempting to make. And they would try to make this into sexual misconduct when you were married. And that's how they constrained it. Okay. Jesus, again, same the same purposes. He said, it's not the physical act only. The physical act is only the result of a heart attitude that is at the root of the problem. And if you have the heart attitude, you're just as guilty as if you did the physical act. And he was not only, so he's talking about sex outside of marriage. He's talking about whether you're married or single. And he's talking about all forms of sexual immorality. Whether it was a deed, whether it was a look or a thought. Made you guilty of adultery. So, remember this. The standard of the law is one man, one woman, in marriage, forever. That's God's standard. And the other part of that standard is what's in your heart. If you look on another, if you're a man and look on another woman with lust, by the way, this applies to both sides. Um, you are committing adultery even if there is no physical act. Again, any normal man will recognize that it is impossible to keep this law. 
So what does he mean when he says, tear out your eye? Well, uh, Christian fathers, the disciples, the apostles, uh, all recognized that Jesus wasn't meaning that we should disfigure ourselves. But what does the eye do? The eye looks, right? The eye looks. So in a sense, you could tear out your eye by not looking. Now, when you're walking down the street or at the beach, or that kind of be hard, okay? Somebody's going to walk across the field of vision, okay? But you cannot look. <laughs> uh, you cannot look at magazines. You cannot look at certain movies. You cannot look at certain books, which may have no pictures, but provide enough description to do the same thing. Don't look. You control the heart by controlling the eyes. It's not a physical maiming, but a ruthless self-denial. Guard the approaches to sin. James makes a comment in his letter to the Christians that um, God doesn't tempt you. He doesn't tempt anybody. You're tempted by your own lusts. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin has its final product, it brings forth death. So there's a difference between being tempted and sinning. Okay? Somebody walks across your field of vision, you're tempted. Okay? If you give in to that temptation, you might. Uh, develop lust in your heart for that object that's when you sin and then sin brings forth death if you it's allowed to follow through Uh, eternity is more important than time and purity is more important than acceptance by our culture so These are the first two. We're almost out of time right now for uh, today's lesson, but these are the first two. We will will carry on with the next two next week. Um, I want to encourage anybody who is in uh, the Valley of the Sun here in the vicinity of Phoenix, Arizona, either living here or visiting here, uh, if you want to participate in the second part of of this uh, Bible study period, which is a actually totally an hour because we set aside a half an hour for discussion and questions you can participate in the live session uh, by stopping by Sun City West Christian Church on a Sunday morning at 9.30 which is when we begin this this study here in Sun City West Um, there are a lot of people over the last several months who have been listening to uh, this program uh, and uh, it costs money to put it on the radio. If you're being ministered to uh, through the Truth For Today broadcast, and uh, you would like to support our ability to sustain this ministry and continue providing these broadcasts, you can go to our website, Sun City West, which Christian Church has a website. It's SWCC. S- S- 
say that again, scwcc.org. And there's, at the top menu bar, there's a donate section. Uh, no amount is too small. God will cause it to be multiplied, and we'll be able to continue these broadcasts. Thank you for your consideration uh, as you uh, open up your heart to God to support his ministries. Uh, and may God bless you all.